but you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. And as you can see from last week, this is a sort of a bookend. The idea from last week in John chapter 1 that in concerning the incarnation of Christ in him was light and that light was or in him was life and that life was the light of men. So we're going to con- kind of continue on that theme. However, I want to begin with a long sort of quotation from a homily from uh, Martin Luther, 1522, and it was, it was his homily on Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You might be familiar with that portion of scripture where Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and him with me. And in commenting on this, and this is kind of segues into what we are looking at here in Psalms 56, here's what Luther has to say about that passage. He says, He cometh unto you. Yes, verily you do not go to him. Neither do you fetch him. He is too high for you. And he is too far away. And all your wealth and wit, all of your toil and labor will not bring him near. Lest you pride yourself that your merit and your worthiness have brought him to you. Dear friend, all your merit and worthiness are smitten down. And there is on your side nothing but sheer unworthiness and or sheer undeserving and unworthiness. And on his side is pure grace and mercy. Here comes together man in his poverty and the Lord in his unsearchable riches. Therefore, learn here from the gospel what happens when God begins to build us into the likeness of him. And what is the beginning of saintliness? There is no other beginning than that your king comes unto you and he begins his work in you. You did not seek him, he seeks you. You did not find him, he finds you. Your faith comes not from yourself, but it comes from him. Where there is no gospel, there is no fellowship with God, but sheer sin and destruction. Therefore, do not ask where to begin a godly life. There is no beginning, but where the king comes and where he is preached. I think that not only is a good summation of law gospel distinctives, but that is a good summation of what David gives us here in Psalms 56. In fact, if you look at the order of it, and we will, we will extract six, six 
overarching thoughts or six observations from it, but just it's very simple what David says. I know he's talking about a temporal circumstance in his own life. As a matter of fact, in the title of this psalm, it says when he was presented by the Philistines or before the Philistines, he was captured or presented to the Philistines. And there is no place in the historical records that indicates a particular event that this is alluding to. The closest that we can come is possibly David in 1 Samuel 21 when he goes before Achish and he pleads or he plays the fool. That becomes the closest parallel. But David, even though he is speaking about God delivering him from a particular situation, if you look at the language, he gives us something very clear and very concise about the Christian life. The Christian life is all about God saving us and then what he saves us for. He saves us by his grace, and he saves us for his glory. In fact, in verse, uh, in verse 13 it says, For you have delivered my soul from death, and you have kept me from falling. There is your salvation, and one could argue his sustaining power. But then he says, here's the reason. Why has God saved us? He has saved us by his power, from eternal death, that we might walk in the light of life. Six, six things, six observations we want to make here. The first one is this. Sanctification is a fruit of having been delivered from death by God himself through the person and work of Christ. Sanctification is a fruit of having been delivered from, the, from eternal death by God himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Again, David says, you have delivered my soul from death. It's important that we understand that. Sanctification, we're not saying sanctification is not important, but sanctification is a fruit of, it is a consequence of, having been saved by the power of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I wrote an article, I think it was for Table Talk and or Modern Reformation, and it was on sanctification and justification. We made this distinction. Sanctification and justification must always be distinguished one from the other, but they can never be separated. In other words, there is no such thing as a saved person who's not being sanctified. And there is no one that is being sanctified that has not been saved. So therefore, sanctification and justification always hang together even if they are distinctly defined. But they must be distinctly defined. What David is clear of is that the reason he will walk in the light is because he has been saved by God. And that's important for us to understand. Our justification is the means by which we pursue our sanctification. So sanctification is a fruit of having been delivered from eternal death by the power of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. You have delivered my soul from death that I may walk in the light of life. So sanctification is a consequence and fruit of having been delivered 
from the condemnation that we are due as sinners. Here's the second observation. We have been delivered from death so that we could live unto God. We have been delivered from death so that we can live unto God. There, you'd be surprised at how, how many people are trying to put others on the road of how to get to God. And sanctification is always at the top of the list. We have been delivered from death so that we can live unto God. One of the arguments against those who hold to a historic, historically Protestant understanding of our faith is they say, well, you don't leave any room for our good works. Listen, good works matter. They will not save you. They will only condemn you on their own. But the reason you, have, you perform good works is because you have been saved. In fact, two passages that we'll look at. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, or one passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul puts it in a nutshell. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So whoever has been saved has been saved so that you can perform good works. Here's what's on the other side of that thought. Outside of Christ, you are not able to perform any good work that is pleasing to the Father. Therefore, we have, it is necessary for God to put us into Christ by grace so that we can perform anything that is worthy to him. So therefore, good works matter, but good works are the outworking of having been saved by God's grace. Here's the third observation. In salvation, we are transferred from darkness into light. In salvation, we are transferred from darkness into light. Now here's the way we defined light last week. Light is not just illumination, but light especially as it is identified in Jesus. Light is, the, is, is really the emanation of what human existence ought to be. So therefore, the purpose of human life is manifest in Christ, and that is the light that helps us to define what our purpose on this planet is. What is the purpose of human existence? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Christ is light because in Christ we have a human being who has glorified God and by glorifying God we mean keeping both tables of the law. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind and neighbor as self and enjoying God. He is loving God and enjoying God. He is the per he manifests, he is the embodiment of the purpose of human existence. If we define ourselves, our purpose, apart from what is fulfilled in Christ, that is part of our rebellion. So therefore, here's what, it, what, here's what happens. When we are brought into salvation, we are connected to Christ, and therefore we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness is the, is the world in which we live where the human purpose is defined apart from what God has defined it to be. Two places 
where we see this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. In Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul's words are thus. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has delivered. Now, a couple of things to note linguistically there. Number one, he has. In other words, what we are positioned in light is the result of him being at work. But secondly, notice that it's past tense. He has transferred us, past tense. It's not that he will, he has. He has transferred us into, from the kingdom of darkness, which is where we are naturally, and he has transferred us into the kingdom or the domain of his dear son. Second, or in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse, or 1 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 9, Peter goes on to say this. He says, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so again, let's back up. Understand that sanctification is the outworking or the call, is, is, is the fruit of our having been delivered from sin and or to, uh, having been delivered from eternal death and damnation. That's what sanctification is, the outworking. It's the, it's the cause, it's the effect of that. It's the fruit of that. Sanctification, God has created us. He has saved us out of our condemned status so that we can do things that are pleasing to him. So that we could, so that we could, this is what he has created us for beforehand in Christ Jesus. Meaning outside of Christ you can't do anything that is pleasing to him. But now being in Christ means we have been transferred out of darkness into the marvelous light, not just of his kingdom, but into the marvelous light of the king. And what light ought to do is change the way you do things. I had a friend who, uh, got to work one morning and he got, I guess, dressed too, too it was too early in the morning because it was too dark in the room. So when he got dressed, he, he not only put on the wrong socks, but he had on mismatched shoes. <laughs> and it looked okay to him because the shoes, both shoes were dark in a dark room. But when he got into the bright light of a 13th floor Wilshire Boulevard office where, no, where the room is filled with windows, all of a sudden brown looked like brown and blue looked like blue. <laughs> and he realized he had on mismatched shoes. Well, it makes sense when you're getting dressed in the dark. And remember what we mentioned last week, that in our natural state, there is a native darkness. And that native darkness is the way we define and see things. And Jesus says, when, he says, when the light that is, he says, the eye is the lamp of the soul. And when the eye, when the lamp is, or when the eye is good, then everything is bright. But if the eye is not good, then everything is darkness. And then he makes this powerful statement that when the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's how great it is. It makes you think mismatched shoes are matched. See, when the darkness that is in you, that's, and so why do people do what we do? We act according to the light by which we look at life. And, and it can be scary, but it's true. You see, there are things that people do that we don't understand, but we're not in the, 
It's the light they are looking through that makes them think that it's all right. Here's what happens when God puts us in Christ. We have a new source of light. So that enemies, the, those who were otherized, are not otherized anymore. That's one of the things that, that Paul makes clear in the New Testament. Here's in the light of man, the light of nature. Tribe means everything. Everything. He says the nation that you come from means everything. Your social status means the world. But in the kingdom, that's the kingdom of darkness where we make judgments about people because of their education, because of their zip code, because of their stuff, because of their status. And here's what he says, but you are in Christ. And in him there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither free nor bond. In him we become a new creation because he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness that made trivial stuff matter. And in fact, not only trivial stuff mattered, but the minor became the major. He says, but now you've been transferred into a new kingdom. And in the kingdom, there's a new light source. And in that light source, blue looks like blue, brown looks like brown in terms of shoes. But humans look like image bearers of God. Sometimes, here's what we get. The residue of the old light stays on us too long. And we instinctively see stuff according to the old kingdom, not realizing this is the danger that we get in our churches, that, that we bring the light of nature to the spiritual house of God and extinguish the light of God. That's what we end up doing. But again, in salvation, salvation is a matter of us being transferred. That's what David says in, at the end of the verse. Here's the reason you have saved us, so that we might live in the light of the life that we have that has been saved by God. Here's a fourth observation. Although we are brought into this light by God's grace, it is incumbent upon us to consciously and intentionally be conformed to this light. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that is our reasonable service. In other words, we are brought into light, but you've seen toddlers that don't want to, you know, they, they don't want to get, they, they don't want to be, they don't want to have their behavior disturbed, so they close their eyes or close their ears. They don't want to hear what you have to say, so they put their fingers in their ears. They don't want to, my mother had a thing where she would direct her children from, she was singing in the choir, and I had sisters that were rambunctious, and she had a way of getting their behavior, changing their behavior with a glance. All she had to do was look from the choir stand, look in a particular way, and my older sister, who was even more rambunctious, she would, what she would do is just keep from looking. <laughs> and my mother, I don't know how she could do it. She could get our attention. She's in a choir with 20 other people, and then she has a way of looking down. I knew she wasn't looking at me. I wasn't doing anything. But she would sometimes look at me in such a way that said with her eyes, get your sister's attention. I'd get my sister's attention, but she still wouldn't look. 
because she didn't want to stop. So when she got in the car after church was over, because somehow, somehow we seem to think that you know stuff is just gonna it's just gonna pass. And so when she would get in the car, my mother would say, "You're in trouble twice. You're in trouble for doing what you were doing, and you're in trouble for not looking at me." Here's what God has done. God has called us out of darkness. And in darkness, we looked all right. In darkness, we looked pretty good to ourselves. In darkness, we were at least, we were like, we were like the Pharisee who went into the temple to pray, Lord, look at me. I, I know I'm not the best. I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm not the, uh, that I'm the best. But you know what? I thank you that I have, that I tithe. I thank you that I'm righteous. And I thank you that I'm better than that tax collector over there. Because the light, the light through which he was defining his life, allowed him to see some merit in him. But the, the tax collector over there was looking through a different light. And that tax collector saw nothing to boast about. In fact, he barely could lift up his eyes and all he could say was, Lord, have mercy on us. God has transferred us from a kingdom whose light allows us to look all right to us. He's transferred us into a kingdom whose light is much brighter. And it sees that the, some of the stuff that used to be okay, it doesn't seem that way anymore. And brothers and sisters, here's the issue, here's the point that Paul is making when he tells us to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He's telling us to consciously open our eyes. Open our eyes and view life through the light of our position in Christ so that we would see ourselves properly and so that we would see our neighbors properly. One of my concerns at this moment in history is that Christians are allowing the world to be defined by a lesser light. Brothers and sisters, when we see ourselves through the lens, through the light of Christ, there are no undesirable others. There are sinners that are saved or unsaved. Yes, we have to be careful. I'm not, I'm not being Pollyannish about this. I'm not saying that we don't live in a wicked world, but the world is occupied by wicked image bearers of God. We have somehow, allowed the light of God to diminish the humanness in others. We've allowed somehow, even in our discourse, the light that allows us, that illuminates us, it allows us to speak in careless and reckless and hateful ways. God has saved us. And he's called us out of darkness. And he's put us in a light that allows us to see ourselves and others the, through the only pure light, which is the light of Christ. And so those that we have made enemies, 
not enemies. The enemies, even though, here's what Jesus says, even about enemies, they'll say, yeah, but look at this. And we have allowed ourselves to be engaged in a warfare that we haven't been called to. Here's what Jesus says about our enemies. Love them. It's not that we don't have enemies. Jesus is not a Pollyanna either. He knows that they're enemies. But he says, love them. Something about the light that we get dressed in. The light that we, that we, in, we perform what we perform in is what justifies us in what we say and in what we do. I meant to mention in our uh, announcements that if you, anybody here takes Table Talk magazine, if you do, look for me every month. I'll be writing in Table Talk all of next, uh, next or 2020 and the weekend issues. And the first article that I've written is on words, our use of words. The words that we say to God and the words that we speak about others. Here's my point. The light that we have been transferred into has to be consciously and intentionally turned on when we speak to and when we speak about others. And that's not just in verbal communication. It's in electronic communication as well. It's in social media as well. Because brothers and sisters, we're no longer in darkness. We're in light. And we've been saved so that we can consciously and intentionally live in light. Here's the fifth observation. Conforming to the light means recognizing and confronting the darkness that resides within and the darkness that is around us. If we are to consciously walk in the light, then we must recognize darkness. In other words, there are some things about our own dispositions that we have to recognize as darkness. We can't hide it. We can't call it. That's just how I am. That's how my family. No, call it darkness. Don't call it family trait. Don't call it regional. Don't call it, well, that's how we do it over here. No, call it what it is. You've been called into the light so that you would see that you is dark with all the intended bad grammar in that statement. <laughs> and you is nothing but darkness. You say, yeah, but that's how my family is. They're dark. That's how, you know, our family, we just say, they're dark. There is darkness. Anything outside of Christ is native darkness. And therefore, brothers and sisters, in order to conform to the light, we must confront the darkness. The darkness that is within us and the darkness that pervades us. The darkness that emanates from us. The darkness that we have somehow find a safe, found a safe place for. That those things that we have been comfortable in saying 
And those things that we have been comfortable in doing that is inconsistent with the light, that it is nothing but darkness, and we cannot conform to the light until we recognize and conform or recognize and confront the darkness. That brings me to my sixth and final observation. The degree to which we conform to the light corresponds to the degree to which we recognize and are grateful for the light. Or, or excuse me, recognize and grateful for the darkness that we have been delivered from. The degree to which we will conform to the light corresponds to the degree to which we recognize and are grateful for the darkness that we have been delivered from. I was sharing in my Sunday school class how this plays itself out. Here's what we who have been saved from death by God so that we could walk in the light of life. Here's what we have received. If nothing else, not, I'm not talking about stuff under your Christmas tree. I'm not talking about how God got you out of, uh, out of a bad situation. I'm not talking about all of those circumstantial things which may or may not be true. I'm not talking about getting up off of a sick bed. I'm telling you two things that those who are in Christ, all of us have received without measure. We have received radical love. And we have been forgiven in ways that we cannot imagine. Here's what we have, here's how we conform to the light. Now, now here's the way I, I find this interesting, by the way, among church folk. I've said this before that we are the biggest consumers of grace and we tend to dispense the least of it. Now, think for a moment is there someone? Right now, you don't have to call their name. I'm not going to ask you to write it down, put it on a card, hold it up. I'm not going to ask you to meet me after church or anything like that. But here's what I'm going to ask you. Is there someone that you feel have hurt you, that has offended you in such a way that you will never look at them the same again? Just, just think about it. You don't have to nod. You don't have to agree. You don't have to smile. You don't have to make eye contact. But just hold on to that. Hold on to that. Now, here's what we've been challenged to do. Here's what we have been gifted and equipped to do. We are the recipients of that great love and great forgiveness, and here's what we've been called to do. We have been called to love as we have been loved by God and by Christ. And we have been called to forgive even as we have been forgiven by God. Now that's, that's biblical. Those two things are yours. You may not speak in tongues. You may not heal anybody. You may not dance. You, but if you are in Christ, here's what is true of you. You have received radical love. You have been forgiven to a depth that you cannot imagine. In fact, the way the scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's cast away your sins. That's how Deeply, you've been forgiven. Now, here's what we need to do. How do we live in that light? How do, the light. That, here's our light. It is that forgiveness. It is that love. And so think about the person 
that you just, I'll let them get over, but I just never look at them the same. And now think about the grace that you have been given. While we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, God sent forth his son. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for our sins. And here's what he did. He forgave us. Now, heres I'm not saying that our love will ever get right, but it can get better. Our love may never be as perfect as it ought to be, and our forgiveness may never be as, as, as perfect as it ought to be, but it can be better. And here's what David is reminding us of. God has saved our lives so that we can walk in the light of life and the light that illuminates our new life is radical love and unbelievable forgiveness Paul Paul just kind of goes through the whole list what is it then that can make God stop loving us what is it that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ and he starts thinking out loud and he says okay maybe height no death no Maybe angels, an angel might make us mess up, make God not love us. No, maybe something out of our past, maybe something in our future, maybe something that is unknown to anybody else. He says, no, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. That's the light in which we are to live. Brothers and sisters, which of our sins have not been forgiven by God in Christ. Here's the challenge. There, there's light. And everything that you do, everything that you allow to, 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 to be yours in thought, word, and deed is because the light that you're looking at it through justifies it. And here's what I'm saying. God has saved you in his son and set you in his light so that you would see the world and your neighbors in it not through solely the light of history not from your own experience and certainly not from Fox News or MSNBC let the light by which you engage this world emanate from the one who has radically loved you and has forgiven you so that as you interact, as you deal, you're not loyal to anyone but the one who saved you and the one who gave his son for you. Paul says, what can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And he answers it. He says, nothing, nothing. Because we are more than conquerors through those things in him. So I'm convinced that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let us look at the world around us. Let us look at ourselves, not through our followers, 
but through our Savior. Our King has come to us and he's given us light. And let us look at his creation and let us look at his grace through his light. And so as my mother would, would get on my, my sister, you better open your eyes. That's what she would tell her. Next time I look at you, you better look at me. And so when the Father gives us this grace in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the gospel proclaimed, you better look at him because in him is life. Amen.